Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome everyone to The Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. Everyone who joins us is on the spiritual journey in your own way, and I just bless your journey. I'm so glad you're with us. As you know, this is a podcast of hope and inspiration and awakening, and every guest I have on is some representation of hope, awakening, and opening our hearts and um, also inspiration. So I just want to give a shout out to the retreat that I have coming up in October, we'll be talking about that later because my guest today is the keynote speaker there. The retreat, you can find out more at thespiritualform.org slash retreat, and you can find out more about everything about the podcast at thespiritualform.org. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review, and if you feel moved, always appreciate donations. It's the only way that my business keeps going on, as well as Renee's, and she's my guest today. Let me introduce her. Today, my guest is Renee King Sonnen. She was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and she's the founder of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, a former singer-songwriter, top-producing realtor, and spa owner. Renee was a quintessential city girl before moving in with her husband, Tommy, into their Angleton, Texas ranch in 2009. She fell in love with all the farm animals on the ranch, and after repeatedly witnessing the rancher's baby calves going to the sale barn, she became more and more depressed about the inherent cruelty that she saw in the ranching business. By October 2014, she decided she no longer wanted any part in ranching, and she went vegan, pursued her dream to open a sanctuary for farm animals. Renee and Tommy's story has been seen on CBS, ABC, RFD, and Animal Planet. Their sanctuary lives are featured in the newly released documentary, Rowdy Girl. Um, she's going to be the keynote speaker at the upcoming Whole Planet Spirituality Forum and Retreat that I'm hosting at Unity Village. And there's so much more to learn about Renee. Welcome, Renee. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Carol. It's such an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm so, so happy that you're here today, and I'm happy that you're going to be the keynote speaker. I've seen your movie. It's extremely inspiring, and it's also just, I don't know, the day in the life of the ranchers, the the farm sanctuary people, it's like, it's very calming, but it's also very inspiring, and I just really recommend the film to anyone. And I think, I think we'll probably end up showing it at the retreat. I was, I was kind of wanting to show segments, but once I saw the whole thing, I'm thinking we should probably, saw, we should probably watch it. <laughs> so anyway, I want to open it's by... It's not that long, really. No, I know. It's not that long. That's what I love about it. I, I mean, I love a lot about it, but it's, it's not like a two and a half hour movie. So it's very easy to kind of fit into all the social stuff we have going on at the retreat. Um, I want to remind the the listeners that before you get into your story, the spiritual path about awakening. It's about opening your heart. It's about aligning your feelings with your thoughts and your values and your words and your actions. And all of this is very, very difficult path. Most of us are kind of off in some way. We have certain feelings, but we behave, behave differently. We have values, but we don't speak them. And my view of Renee is you're a very aligned person and really living the spiritual path. And I'm just real excited to hear about 
more about your story. Do you, would you like to fill in some of the blanks of the introduction that I gave and tell us about your spiritual path and how you got to where you are today? Sure, Carol. I'd be happy to do that. Um, over the course of 65 years that I've been uh, breathing on this planet in this life, um, I have always been a spiritual seeker ever since I was a little bitty girl. I always, um, I mean, I can remember a poem I wrote when I was a little bitty bitty, you know, and it was all about God, you know, watching over me and, uh, and the stars and the, and the sea and the fishes. I mean, I can remember this poem as if it was yesterday. And um, I've always had a belief. I've always had faith. Uh, I've always lived from a place of knowing that there was so much more to it than what meets the eye. And so I have, through the years, cultivated a rich inner spiritual life. I've studied uh, many religions. Uh, and I, when I say studied, I mean studied. I do not do things lightly. I do not do things on the surface. When it comes to my spiritual path, I go deep. And so I am, uh, uh, you know, I've studied Hinduism, Taoism, Sikhism, Wiccan. Uh, I, I consider myself a devotee of Swami Satchidananda. Uh, and I was given the name Sangeeta by him uh, before his passing. Um, I've also uh, studied, you know, Kundalini yoga. And I've had my own yoga studios. Um, just there's just such a rich inner life. Uh, when you look around my, you know, my, I mean, right at my disposal, I mean, it's Jesus and the Essenes, uh, you know, the forget the forbidden mysteries of Enoch. You know, uh, I have my uh, lost gospels of the peace right down there. I am always, always seeking. I never, ever arrive. I am constantly seeking and constantly going deeper because I really do believe that as deep as the ocean is, we've never gotten to the depth of it all. And so I believe the same thing about our spirituality, that we can never think we're at the depth. We've always got to be willing to go deeper. Awesome. That's really, really cool. I, I, uh, I have an ordination in interfaith as well as unity, and I found studying all the religions so very, very interesting. And just kind of taking a, a deep dive and, and also the spiritual practices, going to synagogue or going to mosque, going to, to church, or all these different ways that people experience the divine. And, you know, you don't really have to be just like that, it, it, but to go over, cross, cross the road and see, see what is there. I think it really does enrich our whole faith experience. Um, you, you also mentioned to me at one point yeah. the book, um, Why Every Christian Should Be Vegan. Yeah. I bought that book. It's over here too. Yeah. Yeah. Why Every Christian. You did? Yeah. I have it right here. It's just, uh, yeah. So there's this one right here. Why Every Christian Should Be Vegan and the Essene Gospel of the Peace. You know, uh, I consider myself a very um, esoteric Christian. Um, I'm not your traditional Christian. I grew up traditional Christian, but, um, and honestly, that is the reason I started going into studying various other religions is because I became so, um, conflicted about some things that happened, uh, in the traditional church. And so I just 100% turned my back 
on dogma, religion. I never turned my back on Jesus because I always had a real heart for Jesus's work. Um, but I had a real problem with the fact that there was 17 years missing out of the Bible regarding his, the fullness of his life. And so when I began to take into consideration the fact that this man that I loved and thought was such a great example of who and what we should aspire to as a human, that his, his, his life was missing from the Bible, I was like, Something's not adding up here. And so I, I, have, I have studied all of that stuff. And uh, so I've been able to come full circle. And now, you know, with all the things that I've studied, I, I believe that Jesus did the same thing. Uh-huh. He was a deep seeker. I really. Yeah. I believe he was a deep seeker. And I believe he probably, those 17 years of his life that was missing out of the Bible, I believe that he was probably studying in all sorts of other uh, lands, you know, whether it be India, whether it be Thailand, whether it be uh, Kathmandu, who knows where he went. But I believe he went to different places, sought other teachings himself. I believe he was very open-minded. I mean, he wasn't, come on, he wasn't a Christian. You know, Christianity, he, he didn't like call himself a Christian. He was a Jew. And so, you know, I... Um, I just love, I love him, and I really seek the truth in those missing years. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I, I interviewed a couple gentlemen recently about the origin of the the Gospels, and they had some really interesting things to say about the historicity versus mythology. And I I think a lot is unknown, but we are compelled to to go deeper and to to learn learn more. And I think for me, the most important thing is the teachings, the teachings of love one another, uh, the teachings of forgiveness, and that just expanding your love more and more and more, that, that's the underlying teaching that, that I think those of us who are extending our circle beyond the human boundary to animals. I think we're adhering that to that in a, in a, in a different way. Not, I'm not trying to be like, we're better or anything like that, but I do think the commandment, love one another, does extend to all beings. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what you're doing with your sanctuary. And yeah. it's so, so beautiful. I'd love to hear more about this trans transformation you went through from being the rancher's wife to being now the the caretaker of the animals. Is there is there more you'd like to say about what happened in your heart and what that transformation was about? Sure, because I, I know there's always people that have not heard our story, and it's such an important uh, foundation of the work I do. Uh, the, the, the dark night of the soul for me was, it happened around February of 2014. That is when I realized that what we were doing, I could... I could just really no longer do. I was I was going crazy. I didn't know I was going vegan, but I was going I knew I was going crazy because I couldn't I I was blocking my husband at every turn. <laughs> and he was having to hide the fact that he was sending the animals to the cell barn for me. You know, so he would try to do it when I wasn't around, but I always knew the signs, I knew the sounds, and so it just 
really angered me whenever he wouldn't tell me what was going on, but I knew what was going on. And, you know, I began to side with the animals instead of my husband and I wasn't a vegan, you know, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, and he, we, but we were doing it anyway. It didn't end. It didn't, it didn't end until I went vegan in October of 14, but around February of 2014, Lucky, uh, Rowdy Girl's firstborn uh, son jumped out of the trailer and and missed the the trailer that went to the cell barn and eventually slaughtered. So Rowdy Girl's firstborn son, Lucky, almost broke his leg doing it, but uh, he escaped. And Tommy started calling him broke leg because his leg was really, really inflamed. He could hardly walk on it. And to this day, Lucky, you know, has got a bigger leg, but he walks on it just fine. It's just bigger. Um, but that was the beginning of me witnessing just how much animals don't, you know, they don't want to be separated from their families. They don't want to, they don't want to be loaded up. It was, it was, you know, I'd seen it all before for years. It took me five years of seeing all this to finally just break uh, when this happened with Lucky. and. Um, I gave my husband so much of a hard time from that moment all the way to October. I began to push him. I wanted to I wanted to know why we didn't eat our own animals, why we didn't uh, you know, if we were going to do this business, then we should be slaughtering our own animals. And I and I didn't do it because I was trying to be, you know, mean or anything. I just couldn't understand why we were sending our animals to the cell barn when when we could just slaughter them ourselves if we were going to do this. I mean, in my mind at that time, it was like it would have been better if we had a system where we killed them ourselves than separating them and sending them to be killed. It it didn't make sense to my brain. And and Tommy said, Renee, you need to quit asking questions like this, you know. And I'm like, well, I'm going to keep asking them to you answer because I. I don't under, understand the business we're in. And it's, it's beginning to take a real toll on me. And finally, he told me that he couldn't kill an animal that he knew. Mm. And he couldn't do it himself. And then that really angered me more. Uh, because it was like, I saw him then as a hypocrite, as somebody that was weak. And, oh, okay, we can send him to the cell barn, but we can't kill him ourselves. Well, we're going to change that. And so then I began to challenge him. I didn't realize me challenging him was going to take us to the brink of divorce and me starting Rowdy Girl. But it was there was that constant challenge, the constant next step that I did from February to October that caused the uh, shift. And so when I told him that we were going to kill our own animals from now on, pick one. I said, pick one. You know, uh, which one would it be? This was a few months after the incident with Lucky. And he picked Lucky. He said, well, if I have to pick one, I'd pick Lucky. And I said, why? He said, well, you know, he's got a bad leg. He's probably not going to be able to hold up any weight on it. He's probably going to have lots of problems. So let's pick the weak link. It's Lucky. I said, okay, so then it's going to be Lucky, huh? And so anyway, that never happened. What happened instead was uh, uh, more and more fight. I started watching Slaughterhouse videos. Uh, because Tommy told me that, you know, I didn't even know what veganism was at that point. 
Uh, even though I had been vegetarian in the past and I had I had followed a raw plant-based diet uh, in the past for health reasons at a at a spa and I actually for like a long extended period and I practiced vegetarianism because of my yoga studies I didn't do it for ethics per se I did it to study you know it was an intellectual pursuit uh, but when I started having these emotions for the animals, I started, you know, and I always had emotions for cats and dogs and ferrets and raccoons, but I was like, I was having emotions for cows and it was like not making sense to me. And Tommy was like, Renee, you know, you just need to, you need to stop watching all those, those videos. That is just Peter propaganda, he told me. And I was like, oh, really? And so I started diving into Peter propaganda you know, vegan, blah, blah. I started diving into all this and I, I got a wealth of information. And next thing you know, I am crying every single day at my computer for a couple of months. And Tommy was having to live with me crying. Uh, I mean, literally bawling my eyes out for everything I was seeing. I was making his life more and more complicated um, until um, in October, I. I stumbled upon the Melanie Joy video on carnism and we were going to his mother's house uh, for a Halloween get together with all the kids like we did every year. There was always a little block party and we went every year. And so when I stumbled upon this video, uh, it was that day, it was Halloween 2014. And at once I was mesmerized because it was very good storytelling. And she was talking about this family all sitting around a table enjoying beef stew, uh, you know, and somebody wanted to know what the recipe was. And the lady said, well, you start off with a pound of very young golden retriever. And I had watched all these slaughterhouse videos for months. And all of a sudden, in my mind, I was eating a puppy now and a chopped up dead baby puppy. And the people on the screen were just as shocked as I was. And I felt like I was right there. And then the lady said, oh, no, just kidding. It's really a cow. And I was like, what? And and nobody could continue eating because the image of the puppy, that, that cognitive, cognitive dissonance had been broken. So they couldn't resume eating. And so because they couldn't resume eating, I was like, Oh my God, you know, I could be eating a puppy, a chopped up puppy. And I was just like mortified that this happened. And at that moment, Tommy came in and said, Renee, it's time to go. We got to go and pull yourself together. And so I pulled myself together, put on my makeup, blah, blah. I went to his mother's house, like 30 minutes down the road. You know, I'm still kind of playing this out in my brain. We walk in, all the kids are in their costume. Everybody's talking. His mother-in-law comes out of the kitchen with a big pot of beef stew. I, you know, divine timing could not have, divine intervention could not have played this any better because my heart started beating, my ears started ringing. I was like, you know, she was like, brought out this pot and I knew it was beef stew. And I just said, I can't eat that. I could smell it. I said, I can't eat that. And she said, well, why? I said, because it's got floating dead, hacked up animal bodies in it. And I can't eat that. And 
Everybody in the room, including the children, stopped talking. They looked at me as if I had said a, a ton of cuss words to his mother-in-law, his mother. Mm -hmm. They looked at me like I had cussed his mother out. And I just went, well, you know, and my mother-in-law was like, oh, <clears throat> what did you say? So I repeated myself. And then everybody was like, ooh. And my husband was like, Renee. And I was like, <laughs> well, it is. And I can't eat that. And, and uh, my mother-in-law said, well, Renee, can't you pick it out? And I said, nope, there is no more picking it out for me. That is the moment I went vegan. I had no intentions of going vegan. It was, it just happened as, it's just like that. And my husband's life was a living hell from that moment forward. Okay. All right. So it was living hell because you were vocal with him about your, your, your new awakening or, or what? Vocal is an understatement. I was in his <laughs> face, cussing him out, calling him a murderer. Uh, I became, I mean, if ever there was a vegan on a rampage, it was me. And I was so, I, cause I didn't know I was going vegan. I, I had been reading all this stuff and watching all this stuff. So the idea of it was there, but as a cattle rancher's wife, you don't sit around and ponder, you know, uh, transitioning <laughs> to go vegan. You don't do that. And so right, uh, right. it was just <laughs> It was just like there on the surface, unconscious. And uh, whenever that happened, you know, and I'd been feeding baby Rowdy Girl, you know, baby Rowdy Girl was my, she was like my entrance into the whole world of the cows a few years prior to all that. So I was already a little touched, if you will, um, because I saw things uh, that I used to not see in the cows. But I wasn't a vegan. I just saw things different, you know, and Rowdy Girl was my conduit to all that. We say you saw things like you saw their heart. You saw their their soul. What did you see? Yeah. I mean, Rowdy Girl, um, this was this was back in 2009 or 10, whenever I bought Rowdy Girl uh, as a little baby and started bottle feeding her. See, Tommy wanted me to get more involved with cattle ranching, and I didn't really want anything to do with it at the time. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with it at the time. I was into my yoga and my spiritual studies and the cows were just there. I didn't want anything to do with it. And his biggest mistake was coming home one day saying, uh, you know, there was a baby, there was a couple of babies that needed a mama and I had never had children. And so it appealed to that nurturing side of me. And I bought these two calves, uh, one of which was Rowdy Girl. And the other was Bobo, who died very, very soon after with a failure to thrive disease. But Rowdy Girl became like my pet dog. She became the reason I wanted to get up in the morning. I began bottle feeding her every day, twice a day. And I would feed her. And spiritually, she fed me a, a line of communication to all the cows. She began to show me who they were individually. So we had a we had a herd of black Angus. They all, for all intents and purposes, looked alike unless you were giving were giving them a, a look in such a way where it was heightened. Like I began to look at them all through heightened awareness through Rowdy Girl. I began to see them individually. I could tell them apart, and Tommy couldn't even tell them apart. You know, maybe a few of them, but not like I was. I was seeing them all. I could tell each one 
separate. And I began to name them. And Tommy was like, Renee, you can't keep naming them cows, you know? And I wasn't a vegan. So, but I began to have this heightened sense of awareness around the cows and I began building relationships with them. And that is what I, I figured out later. That is why I didn't want to get involved with the business is because once I get involved with animals, uh, you know, there, there's no way that I can be a cattle rancher. Uh, once I get involved with the animals, I can't do what other cattle ranchers do. I spiritually couldn't do it. And so as hard as I tried to be that good, loyal rancher's wife, persona, I kept being drawn to the other side spiritually. And I believe Rowdy Girl is a conduit for me. I see her as a spiritual giant that is with me no matter whether I'm there with her or like right now. You know, like I consider that we always have an open channel. She's always mm -hmm. giving me information. And I'm always transmitting information to her. We are on a mission together. I do not know where she ends or I begin anymore. That's the way it really, really is, if you want to know the truth about it. And so... <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think people think that works with their soulmate or, you know, a sister or brother or relative or friend or whatever. But I love that you have that experience with Rowdy Girl, who was a cow. And, you know, why not? You know, it's, I think, I think the only reason we think that that's unusual is because we haven't had the same encounter. Like we haven't allowed ourselves to encounter another animal like that, that isn't like dog or cat. You know, the, the animals that we eat, if we encountered them, if we, we saw them, their soul, and, and they look back into our souls, it's a whole different experience. And we just don't normally allow ourselves to do that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, because um, I know it sounds like you were in Tommy's face <laughs> a lot when you had your conversion oh, yeah. moment, and then you're kind of in his face about things. But you know, when I watch your movie, that's not how you are with people. Uh, I think you're you have a, a a very compassionate and compelling way of speaking to people about the animals and and veganism that's very inviting but but certainly not in their face. I mean it's some, something I certainly want to try to emulate myself because there's nothing that's that's violent about it and there's nothing that's overbearing about it. So can can you tell tell us about how you've kind of made that transition or am I seeing you right? That's how I saw you on the movie. Oh, yeah. No, you're seeing me right. You're seeing me right. The thing is, you know, Tommy, Tommy was my husband. Right. And he was a cattle rancher. I was married. To him and I, I had to go toe to toe with him or he would have sold all the cows and sent them to slaughter. So I, I couldn't let that happen. And so I, I had to, I had to be extremely aggressive. Uh, it wasn't assertive. It was aggressive. I have absolutely told him, if you take them cows up the road one more time, I'll buy them all back with your credit card and bring them back home. You will not do that. You will not. I will. I will keep every eye open. So you don't do that because they became my family. They started becoming like my family. So I threatened him because I had to. Uh, I don't advise that. Uh, you know, I don't recommend that way uh, of, of, of being with the person you love. But Tommy and I wouldn't be married today had I not done that. I think it was a special, uh, it was a special time in in our in our lives, and it's actually what birthed the Rowdy Girl 
movement, if you will. It's what it's what it took that. Um, as far as my activism goes, uh, I am very much the kind of person that asks a lot of questions of people. I say to people all the time, you know, we used to kill animals for a living. So I'm not here to judge you. But, you know, I have some questions for you. And I want you to consider X, Y, Z. And so I like to look at the way I do activism as a backdoor approach. You know, I like to go into the back door of their uh, consciousness instead of the front door. Because anytime you approach somebody head on, you are going to meet with opposition. I don't care who it is. I, I mean, anytime you just boom right in their face, you're going to meet with opposition. Be, be ready for it. If that's the way you're going to do it. But if you go like nudge them behind the scenes, like behind their consciousness, things begin to be their idea. They begin to think about things on their own instead of being, instead of them feeling like something's being forced on them uh, in the front, uh, in the front door. <laughs> so um, that's the way I do it. And uh, one of the things I do a lot is I go into barbecue places like Lockhart, the, the city closest to us is the barbecue capital of Texas. And so I will go to all these different barbecue places and I'll walk in with my meat is murder cap and my whatever. <laughs> and I'll go up to the person working and I will say, do y'all have any vegan barbecue? And I'm very sincere. And they'll look at me and like, uh, vegan barbecue. I'm like, yeah, vegan chicken or, you know, I've even had vegan ribs. Do you have any like vegan pork? And, you know, and I'm, and, and they're like, no, we have grass fed. We have uh, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, can I speak to your manager, please? Sure. So the manager comes. And so I asked them, I say, look, I live here in, uh, you know, the Lockhart area. We have a farm sanctuary, I have lots of tours, and I'm looking for a barbecue place that sells vegan barbecue. I really would like to start getting some catering done. Uh, you know, we need a good vegan barbecue joint around here. You know, can y'all accommodate? Oh, uh, well, we've never thought about it. I said, well, I am your reason to think about it. <laughs> and there. So what happened? Well, they, they, they said, well, they, they told me that they would cater. They would do something to cater to us if we ever wanted to, just to let them know. And we would, you know, they would like put something together. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, the thing is, you've got to be creative when you're dealing with people that like I was talking to somebody yesterday that came here and they're like interviewing me for a podcast and wanting to know, how do you talk to cattle ranchers? How do you get them to change? And I'm like, well, number one, unless you are one, you probably ain't going to get them to, to think anything except that you're freaking crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you're, when you're steeped in generations of tradition and culture and familial loyalty, you can't just expect because you go up to them and say, hey, you know, don't you think cows deserve to live too? You, you know, you can't think that that's going to make them go, oh my God, I need to change what I'm doing. They're going to laugh you out of the parking lot, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. You know, I've been asked to do workshops on this. I haven't yet. Because role playing would be a good way to do it. You know, a lot of role play. You yeah. Have to, you I have think to really know how to do it. We did yeah. some role playing at the retreat last year. Maybe we'll do some this year. I, I, as I remember watching your documentary, there were a couple people that were very memorable to me. That one young 
rancher who who brought the the young calf and he's like he would he would never Rescue. hurt this calf he he <laughs> he really wanted this calf to be rescued and have a life and for some reason that was the one calf he he cared about and and he he wouldn't think about you know that doing that for the others it was it was so interesting kind of to watch that you know i mean he was definitely awake to the love he felt to this one and and that was an opening you had with him and a conversation you had with him, but he was stopped at that that place. Like I, I couldn't extend that to the others. And probably because of the history and the making a living, we're all making a living and all of that. But it was very interesting to watch. Yeah. In my father's house are many mansions. So he was in one of those. Mm-hmm. In one of those mansions, he was able to actually consider Buster as a friend. And and in that mansion that he was in, I was able to go there with him and I was able to have a conversation where he didn't reject me. But I had to understand that that wasn't all there was to him. I knew that. I knew that wasn't all there was to him. That's why I kept challenging, challenging him with the religion. And, uh, you know, what that means is we have open dialogue. I could pick up the phone and talk to Sonny anytime. And, you know, last time I talked to him was just a few weeks ago, and he's supposed to come out and visit Buster. And so when he does, I get a chance to talk to him again. Yes. See, it's a, it's a process. You talk to a rancher, you know, because you're out there doing activism and think you're going to get them to change their mind. It's, you know, you got to have conversations with these people that are deliberate and uh, genuine. Yeah, I love that you say so you, you keep time. keep the door open or you keep it open. I think we, the way the world is, it, it's always been this way, but it feels more heightened now. That there's really it it feels like it's more important now that we keep our connections, that we we stay connected, even if we have massive differences, even if we don't see eye to eye on like anything, rather than turn our back and 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 refuse to be in the space of that person, that we still find ways to stay connected, keep our heart open. There's always the possibility of a deeper connection. And, and there's always a possibility that you or the other person will have some sort of aha moment because of that relationship and because of the tension. And I think that's another big part of the spiritual path is to continue to, to reach out for people and to stay connected, even if their sense of reality is completely opposite to yours. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And because these people can identify with us because we used to be cattle ranchers, I have a very unique opportunity. And if I could figure out how to educate and teach others how to communicate, uh, it would be very um, good for the animals, you know. And I'm I'm happy to do that. I just don't know how to do it uh, at this point. But I'm I'm certainly happy to do it. Like I have a conversations with a cattle rancher company, uh, couple, an older couple that has two uh, families here, a cow-calf pair, Grace and Randy, and a little bit in Savannah. Those are two cow-calf pairs that would have gone to slaughter at this cattle ranch had this woman not heard about our story through her daughter. And she saw our story on CBS Evening News, and so she knew she could call me crying, crying as a cattle rancher's wife and say, can you please help me? I don't want to see Grace go to slaughter. And she's, 
got mastitis really, really bad and she can no longer have, you know, suck, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, my husband said she's going to be next to go to the cell barn. I've bottle fed her since she was a baby and I, I can't stand the thought of her going to slaughter. And she has a little boy that I've named Randy. Aww. And can you please help me through sobs, through sobbing, through sobbing. And, uh, you know, we've got Grace and Randy right here. I've met with uh, this couple, Mary and her husband, uh, or- Ornis. I think his name is Ornis. Um on several occasions, they come visit, they come bring feed, uh, they have a cattle ranch. And, um, and then a few months after Grace and Randy, she calls me again. You know, they donate to us. We have cattle ranchers that donate, that are members, bona fide cattle ranchers. Wow. Uh, you know, and she calls me a few months later, maybe nine months later, and she said, Renee, I, I, I don't know what to say, except I'm in a situation again with with little bit, she starts telling me all about little bit and her prolapsed uterus and how she's next in line to go to slaughter and she can't do it because she just can't do it. You know, little bit is special and her baby Savannah and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, Mary, I said, you know, you can't keep doing this. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to talk to you about this one, this case, but I can't keep taking every animal you fall in love with. I said, because let me tell you, every one of them out there are just like them. All the animals out there in the pasture that you aren't talking to me about today are just like a little bit in Savannah. And then she starts crying worse. Please don't tell me that. I I don't want to hear that. I said, well, if you want me to consider taking a little bit in Savannah, you're going to have to hear me talk about it. And so I said, I'm here for you. You can sob on my shoulder and we will do that together. But you've got to hear this, you know. I can't, I can't be your place where you, you, you surrender animals just because you're having a spiritual awakening around this special one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're all special. And so I took, I took a little bit in Savannah and, you know, and, uh, and we are, we have a good relationship. We talk a lot. She comes out and visits, always wants to know about him. I send them pictures, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And then there's this other cattle rancher, uh, you know, that donated several thousand dollars to our end of year campaign to help with our cow barn, a working cattle rancher because he loves the work we're doing. Nice. Interesting. It, it's, it's interesting how the, the mind and the soul and the heart struggle with this, you know? I mean, it's like, it, it, at least they're all kind of awakening in a certain way, whereas the rest of the world is just going to the grocery store and picking out their, their meat or their leather or whatever it is in the store and, and not even, you know, being close enough to be connecting it at all. And that disconnection, I think it just so, it's such a disservice to us all. It's like a, a, a break in our humanity that we're so disconnected from the animals of the world and that we've decided to view them as, as commodities, as things. Cause I, I mean, I think that we come alive when we, when we have these experiences like your cattle rancher wife friend, uh, cattle rancher's wife, who's having this dilemma with the, with the animals. She's really facing her own, her own soul, which is, you know, telling her to, to be love. And wow, what a journey. Um, can we talk also about the work you're doing with the chicken farmers? I think that's so cool that you're helping the chicken farmers transform their business to stay in business, but doing something completely different. 
Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the Rancher Advocacy Program uh, was created out of uh, necessity, really. Uh, people just like I talked to you about uh, is the reason there's RAP. You know, um, you know, when I originally started RAP, it was not because I wanted to help farmers transition their business. It was because I wanted them to transition their hearts. Mm. My, my ultimate motivation for RAP was never for it was never to help them transition their business. Uh, it became that because I began to realize after talking to ranchers, families that, you know, well, what, what are we going to do instead? And what I, I began to realize that what I did, I used my skills and my talent, you know, my God-given uh, acumen for business and fundraising and promotion. Uh, I used all that uh, to to do what I do at Rowdy Girl, but not every cattle rancher is going to have those particular set of life skills. And so, you know, what are they going to do? And so I began to go deeper into research to see what I could do to help them. And uh, the Barretts became, oh my God, they're like my family, you know, uh, they became a reason for me to appeal to uh, significant funding to get help for them, and um, and I did, and it's 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 not over. Uh, we are in process. We're still in process with that farm, and you know what used to be a full scale chicken operation where they process a hundred thousand chickens every fifty two days. Oh my gosh! Is now, yeah, that's what they used to do, and so it's now. Uh, you know, we're creating a model where we can take those 20,000 square foot barns and create, you know, we're creating mushroom grow rooms in them. So it's a process, but it's, 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 it's all in place. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that, um, did, I mean, did they, did they come to you wanting to change their business? I can't remember this story. Uh, well, they, um, they came to me by way of, uh, you probably know Sean Munson, uh, Sean Munson, um, Earthlings and Dominion and all. Well, Sean Munson was in contact with them uh, and they had already gone vegan uh, recently uh, at that point. And they were having already an awakening. And I was contacted uh, because you know, I've, I'm known for, you know, getting the job done. You know, I'm pretty known for that. I'm pretty known for that. So I was contacted. They needed help. They needed hay. Their cows were going to be starving. Um, and so I drove to Arkansas with my friend Ryuji, nine-hour drive as soon as I heard about it. And uh, I did a fundraiser right away and raised, I don't know, somewhere around $20,000 in just a couple of days to get them hay. For their cows. So, you know, that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, we began to talk and it was a very complicated situation. They were working with some other folks. They didn't want to work with them anymore. And it just kind of came full circle. They got involved with rap and it's been a, it's been a very interesting roller coaster for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about, so 
I'm a Unity minister, and Unity is founded by two people, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And in, in the early years of Unity, they, they became ethical vegetarians, not in the beginning, but they were converted by their, the printer of their, their magazine business, who was a um, Seventh-day Adventist, who walked into their house and says, what is all this dead stuff doing on your table? <laughs> kind, of, kind of like how you spoke to your, your mother-in-law. <laughs> and anyway, they ended up converting to ethical vegetarianism. But Charles wrote extensively about how the the meat eating business, the the slaughterhouses, that 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 kind of business, how it, it really messes with the the soul and the spiritual development of a person. That we're we're all we're all paying for this. These people are doing it for us, and there's all of this kind of. I mean, he didn't say this, but it's kind of like bad juju. It's like it's like all of the stuff that we're doing. This constant violence that uh, that goes against. I think our human nature and, and the, 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 the dominion. Yeah. yeah it's just, it, it's, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the, the people who are doing the slaughtering. It's not good for the people who are paying for it. It's not good for all of that anxiety and oppression that's going into our own bodies. And so he wrote extensively and spoke extensively about the spiritual aspect of this and that it's our job to, to not, impose this on people to be killers for us. And it's our job to to do what we can for world peace, universal love, ethical living, spiritual development, that that all of this is aligned with how we are related to animals and 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 how we we use them or how we see them. And so I think that this these people, like when I was watching the movie and I saw the 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 big huge chicken farm that I see all the time when I'm driving through the roads in Wisconsin, the cattle farms too. But I, I just kind of got the impression that they were kind of like, sometimes farmers get stuck in their business. Like it's, this is my business. This is how I make a living. I, I kind of wish it was different, but this is kind of what we have to do. And just the burden on the soul, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, it, it, you know, my heart goes out and I just feel like we're in this opportunity to have this massive awakening not making people wrong, you know, not forcing people anything to do anything or not do what they want to do, but to restore ourselves to like our natural nature, which is to love one another. <laughs> that's the work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, they get to meet themselves. Uh, they get to see who they've been. They get to have their own awakening as they change. And um, I envision that the Barretts will one day be powerful activists themselves. It's just they've got a lot to get through right now. And we're doing it. We're mm -hmm. getting through it. It's just a lot. They've got to be boots around with what they're doing. And, you know, and then because the other piece of this is, you know, no matter how much we change uh, our eating habits until we change governments, until we get new systems in place where you know, all the money doesn't go upstream to all the, the good old boys. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's got a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a, a balance like this until that's why I'm involved with the Agriculture Fairness Alliance. You know, I'm on their board of directors. I was at, you know, in the halls of Congress a few weeks ago, talking to seven different senators office. I'll be there again in May with our founder of AFA, Connie Spence. You know, we're trying everything we can to get language in the farm bill to help farmers 
you know, that are wanting to transition. So mm-hmm. that at least there's some way to give them money. I mean, as it is now, if you want to transition, there's no funding except for private resources like what I've gotten. You know, you've got to, you can't just rely on private funding. You know, our government has to see the need here. And I, that's what my, I and mean, that's one of my, my big goals as well, you know, and so it's uh, quite challenging. Yeah, you're working all levels. I love the action. I love how you're in action in all these different ways. It's, you know, you're right down there with the animals in the farm and you're working with the farmers and the ranchers and you're going into the, the barbecue store and then you're working with senators. You know, you're you're working with all of it. You know, most of us <laughs> don't even want to take on one of those. It's pretty amazing. Um, I want to I want to pivot just a little bit because I want to talk about your spiritual practices. And I know you talked about, you know, yeah. the, the different religious um, traditions that you've you've dived into. But when I see you on these shows or in your movie, to me, your spiritual practice, or at least one of them, looks like you're going out and sitting amongst the, the cows and being with them. As, and that, that is that a spiritual practice for you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I have to. I have to just go be in the herd. Like, I consider myself to be one of them. And they have accepted me as a part of the herd, you know. And so uh, I get so much uh, peace. I get grounded. I get insight. I understand who we really are on this planet all together when I'm with them. And and my heart is wide open and it and I cry a lot um, because they can take it, mm-hmm. you know, they can take all of my sadness. And, you know, because I can't live in this world and do the work I do crying. But when I with when I'm with them, I can cry. I can have my grief. They take it. They chew their cud. They are aware of my feelings. They know just exactly what I'm up to. I really do believe I am called by Rowdy Girl herself and the herd around me to do this work. I don't think that it's, uh, you know, me making this decision on my own. I really believe I'm called uh, and that whatever force is working in this world is working through my cows to me directly. And Rowdy Girl is the leader. So, yeah, I get a lot of my meditative juju from them <laughs> and uh, and sitting right here in my room. And like if you like what I'm looking at right now, it, as well as you, is I have a wall that's full of all things spiritual, you know, so that when I'm doing my work, I'm constantly reminded of all the spiritual imagery that I need to stay fully functioning on the inside to be able to make trips around the world, to make trips to Congress, to because that's just me showing up, doing what I God, that's the least I can do is show up, right? But it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of organizing, a lot of money. Uh, you know, we rely heavily on our membership. I'm always trying to grow membership here. Uh, and, you know, and on major donors, we rely heavily on people because I can't, I'm 65 now. And as we move into the next phases of our lives, Tommy and I, we will be traveling globally to promote the film and my book. And, uh, you know, we have a we have plans to do an impact campaign around both 
to really go deep into the heart of rural America and Christian conservatives because, you know, the Christian conservatives are the ones that need us the most. They're the ones that people in our movement are most afraid of approaching Mm -hmm. or think that they can't approach them. And quite frankly, I have no trouble with it at all. Yes, I love that. Um, And and I think that book, (laughs) I bought that book, Why Every Christian is it why every Christian should go vegan or why every Christian should become a vegan, whatever it is. It's it, it, He goes, you know, I, I've got to find that author. I want to get him on my podcast because it, he goes through all of the scriptures that every Christian points to when it says, so this is why I eat meat, you know, the fish or you know, Jesus or the, the lamb, or, you know, everything over and over. It's like, okay, here's the scripture. Here's the interpretation. Here's the reality. And he points it out, you know, every single one that that it, there's another interpretation there that says, no, that's not that's not what it is. It's not saying, yeah, go ahead and eat whatever you want to kill whatever you want at all. And can you imagine? I mean, we 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 view God, the creator or the creative force as as love. We, we view God as at least I do divine wisdom, divine love, understanding and. And that we know that that love is imparted to all of creation. So why would it ever be okay if if one part just completely annihilates another part? I mean, why would God go, yeah, do whatever the heck you want with those over there? I love them, but I love you more. It's like, no, that's just that's just not what's in the Bible. No, man, man, just from historically has needed to create a way to be powerful, to uh, dominate. It's all about supremacy. And it is just everywhere in the Bible that that is what is obvious that it was translated and created to dominate people. Uh, You know, and so there's so much left out. And, you know, I really do believe that if we listen to our heart instead of dogma, anytime we're spewing dogma, Oh, well, I eat animals because God said I could. Uh, That is so, I mean, when we really think about that, it'd be like saying, well, you know, I have slaves because God God said I could. Yeah, I I bashed my kid's head in because God said it was okay. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's not, it's not taking that deeper dive, which you talked about in the beginning, questioning everything. Yeah. So I think that's wonderful that you're going into that. That's a great place for you to go into the Christian community and bring bring the voice there. So kudos to you. We're hoping to take it into a cowboy church. Okay, great. You know, we're cow- have you ever heard of a cowboy church? I have not heard of a cowboy church, but I've got a I've got an image of it. Once you mentioned it, <laughs> well, there's a whole fellowship and an association of cowboy churches. Okay, and they are good old boys wear their leather boots and their hats and you know they you know their jeans they go to church they are usually farmers and ranchers or somehow connected to not really have to but they usually have a little arena that they do little rodeos okay all right and so yeah that's where i want to go interesting uh i had the whole picture but i didn't have the rodeo Mm hmm Okay. Okay. We're coming up on our hour and I just want to make sure if you have anything else that you want to say that you can do that in the next couple of minutes, what else would you like to share? Well, um, you know, I, number one, I want to just tell you, I, I have been to unity many, many times. I've also got like 
three or four of the books over there by Unity that I've read through the years. And so I uh, I love the Unity um, philosophy, you know, if you will. I just love it. And so I did want to tell you that. And, you know, just for your listeners to be on the lookout for a book that will be coming out. It's a, it's a secret right now. I can't tell you the title, but uh, it will be it will tell everything you ever wanted to know. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, maybe I'll have a sequel, I'm sure. But uh, it's full of secrets um, about what it means to be a cattle rancher's wife. So uh, that book's going to be coming out, looks like probably in October. Uh, yeah, just, you know, if you are looking for a way to get involved, to become a member, that is one of the very, very best things you can do. Join the Rowdy Club. Great. We'll have your links on the podcast page. And maybe when your book comes out, we'll have you back on. That would be kind of fun to talk through that. Yeah. We're going to Toronto uh, April 28th, and we'll be there through May 7th. I could talk about it now. You know, we're, uh, we got chosen to be in a world premiere for Hot Docs, which is the largest uh, North American film festival. Nice. Okay, great. Uh, all good news. All good news. So whatever links you want for me to put on the podcast page, I'll put them on for you. So thank you, Renee, so much. I look forward so much to being the keynote at our retreat. Um, this October. And I'm so in awe of the work you're doing and how you're so spiritually aligned, your feelings, your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, and the activism that you're doing and the actions you're taking, the conversations that you're having and staying connected to so many wonderful people. I just think you're a bright, 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 bright light in the world. And I'm so glad to know you and to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.